Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. All right. Uh, Let's read this together. This is Proverbs 12, verse 9, 11, 13, 15 through 19, 23, 25 through 26. That's a lot. But we're going to do this together. All right. You ready? You guys, okay, program's up. All right. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. The ways of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The word of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Thank you. You guys sounded really good. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. You may be seated. All right, so the time has come where I want to use the fortune cookies. All right, so you can open up your fortune cookie if you haven't already, okay? And uh, I, I actually haven't talked to these people prior, and uh, I'm calling on them because I know their name. So if I know your name already, you're like, oh, no, here he goes. Um, but we like to play this game with my family at the end of the, uh, the meal. Uh, we like to say something uh, after we, eat, we read the fortune, like I, you saw I did with the kiddos. So um, we're going to all say on vacation, okay? So, Brian Smoker, did you get one? Grab one from anyone around you. If you could, please, Brian, stand up really loud, if you can, right where you are, read the fortune, and then we're all going to say on vacation. Nice and loud, Brian. Nice and loud. We've not planned this. Nice and loud. (laughs) On vacation. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Uh, Bill, did you get one? All right, Bill, would you read yours? And hold on, at the end of Bill's, um, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's say when you get home from vacation. All right, so Bill, read yours, and then we'll all say when you get home from vacation. When you get home on vacation. That actually went really good. I have not read mine. But I'm going to read mine, and then we're going to say in the pool on vacation afterwards. All right, here we go. (laughs) Sorry. Delay is the antidote for anger in the pool on vacation. (laughs) I love doing this. We did it last week with with church, and I, I actually want to kind of keep it up. We're in the book of Proverbs. 
And we're going to be in the book of Proverbs all summer long. We're doing one chapter a week. So last week was 11, uh, this week's 12, so on and so forth. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's about 31 days in each of the month. And so when I say to the kids, a proverb a day keeps the fool away, that's a really good rhythm. If you're someone who has a Bible or even has a smartphone, but hasn't really incorporated the Bible into your life, I would encourage you. It's a really, really beautiful thing to incorporate in your life. It's the Word of God. It changes lives. It's beautiful. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the book of Proverbs, you can literally just say, well, today is what's it on the front of your bulletin? Is it the 17th? Today's the 17th. And it was funny because that was one of the favorite numbers of the kids today. You can flip to Proverbs 17. It's usually about 30 verses. Read down through. You will not be disappointed. It's really cool. It's a great place to start in reading your Bible. Well, we're going to keep going with that theme because I'm having a lot of fun. What I've done in my sermons on these uh, chapters of Proverbs, I've tried to come up with like a theme that I'm seeing, right? A theme that I'm seeing. So a couple weeks ago, I did the sermon and I found that this, the theme was on words. And I talked about the power of words. Well, if you look down through your bulletin, what you read today, you know what kind of theme I was thinking of when I was reading all this? social media. I just kind of was. I, I was reading through these and I thought social media. So here's uh, some of the ones that I thought of uh, social media. Okay. Whoops. Let me see if I can do this in Proverbs chapter 12. So I thought of, let's see here. I'm going to read them and then I'm going to say something. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Here we go. And I'm going to end on social media with something. So this one first, and that's what I thought. For 12, verse 11 says, Those who work, those who work the land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have no sense on Snapchat. All right, and the next one I thought of, verse 25. Verse 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart. But a kind word cheers it up on Instagram. Well, what I thought there. All right, this one, next one. We'll see how this goes. This has been a little controversy of late, but we'll see. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk. And so the innocent escape trouble on Twitter. I told you there's a theme here. Oh, and the last one. Verse 23, the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly on Facebook. Did I hear an amen? I heard an amen. You know, this is kind of fun and funny, but it's a reality that social media is a major part of who we are and how we operate. And even if you're like, oh, well, I don't have a social media account. That might be true, but you probably watch the news like my father 24 hours a day. That is your social media account. There's really no difference between the news and social media. So I I find it quite comical when someone tells me they don't have a social media account. They feel pretty cool about themselves. But then when I start talking to them, I'm like, yeah, but you watch the news a lot. So it's about the same thing. Now, here's the thing. This is estimated numbers, but this kind of blew my mind. Right now, there's an estimated 4.5 billion users of social media around the globe. 
That's half the population of the world has a social media account, which that's believable, right? I could believe that. That's actually projected to be 6 billion by 2027, right? Now, who knows? Twitter might be making that number up, but we'll leave that alone. The average user, this includes me and you, the average user is about 2.5 hours a day on social media. And at 4.5 billion users, that's 11.25 billion hours a day on social media, globally, a day. Ready for this? That's 125,000 years a day spent on social media. Let me say that again. That's 125,000 years a day on social media. I heard it said on a podcast, we are not using social media. Social media is using us. Let me say that again. We are not using social media. Social media is using us. And by those numbers, you could say, oh, I, now I get it. I see it. It's, it's, it's a little bit uh, embarrassing, even for me. You know, I was going to do this sermon. So I said, well, I'll go to my phone. I've, I know with my kids' parental settings, I know how to look at how much time you spend on each app. I, by far, am the furthest or the longest on my Facebook app. And I admit, it has become an addiction. It's become something that I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I just, I can't even tell you what my brain's thinking. It's just like you're zoned out. It's like you're on some kind of a trip or something. You're just doing this, you know? I actually saw on the internet the other day that they are now selling thumb braces. I'm not even kidding you. They're selling, selling thumb braces that help support you in your gaming and your scrolling, it said, for tired thumbs. Whoever thought that the thumb would be used, you know, to get you to buy something, to get you to feel horrible about yourself, to get you to feel awesome about yourself, you know? Back in the 60s, this thing just got you a ride, or it didn't get you a ride. Now it's scrolling everything. That'd be a funny spoof, right? That'd be a funny spoof. But social media is using us. And uh, I, I, I kind of... I've heard this before, and I've kind of witnessed it, but I 100% witnessed this this last year. Social media gravitates towards what they call negative algorithms, meaning they have found that negativity is so much more popular than positivity. That doesn't say anything about social media, people. That says everything about what? Us, me included. And I saw this firsthand. I'm the president of my class of 2001. I know, shocking. But I was. I was homeschooled. No. <laughs> I went to a high school. And uh, I did not realize that being the president of your class when you graduated mean that you're in charge of your reunions from here to eternity. I'm hoping that I don't show up in heaven and they're like, oh, you're still in charge of our reunions in eternity. That would be awful. So last year, I was in charge of our 20th anniversary for my class. Now, the backstory is I had done a 10th year anniversary for our class, and it flopped. No one came. It hurt my feelings. I was frustrated. It was, it was tough. I mean, a couple people came, but not many. 
The other thing, too, is I had kind of completely forgot. And I kind of dropped the ball last year. Now, I could blame it on COVID, but really, I dropped the ball. Well, someone reached out on Facebook, on our class Facebook page, and said, yo, is Marcus going to do a, tw- a, a 20th class reunion? And the responses on that were unbelievable. First one was, no, he's too busy serving God. And then there was a bunch of chimes in on serving God, right? It got over 150 reactions out of 200 people on the, on the, on the Facebook post uh, page. So that was negativity, right? So fast forward a year, I feel bad. I logged on and said, yo, everybody, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball. But we're picking it back up again, and we're going to couple with the class of 2002, and we're going to do something in our hometown, actually in two weekends from now. And I planned it all out. I worked with the class of 2002, and we found a restaurant, and we found a bouncy house for kids, and a, and a food truck, and our local park, and we went all out. Put that out on our Facebook wall for our class. 20 interactions. See the difference? The negativity like tripled the usage versus like we now have a solution to the problem and nobody chimed in. Now maybe it was because it's our 21 anniversary. I don't know what's wrong with that. Everyone likes their human 21 anniversary. What's wrong with our class 21 anniversary, right? But, you know, but that right there proved to me the negative algorithm, right? It like literally played out in real life in my life. I wanted to get people to see this positive one, that we have a solution. We are addicted to problems. We love discussing, thinking, worrying about, staying up late about the problems. But there's another side to social media that I, am, I fall into as well. And that's this. Social media and my accounts, Marcus's accounts, put me at the center of the story. Let me say that again. Social media and my accounts puts Marcus at the center of the story. And should Marcus be the center of the story? Just ask my wife, and she'll tell you, no. It is not a good story when Marcus is at the center. But if you think about it, let's be honest. Let's look into the social media mirror. We put ourselves at the center of our stories. That's what social media does. Now, you might be a mom and say, no, I don't. You posting pictures of your children is still you in the center of your story. You might be a guy and say, no, I don't. Yes, you posting pictures of your experiences of backcountry or surfing or your job or your political view still puts you at the center of your story. That's how the whole thing works. Now, like I said before, is negativity something to be said about social media or something to be said about us? It's about us. Us wanting to be at the center of our story. Is that something social media just came up with 15 years ago? Is it? No. We're human. We've been wanting to be the center of a story from the day we were born. You don't think we want to be a center of our story? Have a two-year-old. They want to be the center of the story. I know it's not a fun subject, 
But us wanting to be the center of the story, there's a word for that in the theolog theological world and in the Bible. It's called original sin. I was born wanting to be the center of the universe. Now, you might be an introvert and be like, no, 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 no. I'm not like you, Marcus. I don't have an egotistical, narcissistic issue. Uh, yeah. Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean that you don't want to be the center of the story. You just don't want anyone else there with you. But you still want to be the center of the story. So don't be pulling that on me, introverts. Okay? This extrovert struggled through, through, through the pandemic. Was there any other physical touch, words of affirmation, social gathering extroverts out there that struggled during the pandemic? Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. There was many a times where I would slam the door and say, this thing was made up by introverts. I know it. Well, you got an excuse to be alone. Doing it for your safety. But we all know it was not fun. It was horrible for everybody. Introverts and extroverts included. But I'm an extrovert. But we all like to be the center of our stories. And maybe you're not a attention-grabbing person like myself, and I like being the center of the story for people to see me and to hear me and to affirm me, but maybe you like to be the center of the story because you're a control freak, and you like to grab the pen out of the author's hand and say, this is my story. I will write my story. But what does the Bible say about writing a story? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of Father. God and his son Jesus are the author of life. They're the author. And maybe you say, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. I am a little bit nervous of the story that I would write, and I definitely don't want my spouse writing my story, or my coworkers, or my children. I, I, I really would like God to have the pen. I have found in my personal journey with Jesus, and I have found in many that I have led to come to faith with Jesus, that many of them think that that means saying okay to God being the author. That's not true. That's only partly true. You have to be okay when you come to Jesus. The Bible says when you come to him, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? It doesn't, it's not enough just to say, well, you're the author of life, God. Because what always happens, I find in my life and in those that have given their life to Christ, they still say, you're the author of life, God, but this is the story I want you to write. Now I'll give you the pen, but I want you to write this, and I want to be the center of your story, God. Right? I didn't like the way that I was writing my life. It ended in not a great relationship. It ended in not great decisions. Okay, God, you can have the pen, but here's the story I like. You know, five foot eight, blonde, golden retriever, SUV, house in the mountains. Can you write that story for me, please? No. We do that. That's not salvation. That's just trading the bumper sticker on the back of your car. 
slapping a Jesus fish on what your agenda is and what your story is and saying, there, I'm a Christian. See, look at the Jesus sticker on the cover of my story. I go to church. I sing the songs. You better write what I tell you to write, though, God. Is that me? Is that salvation? No. That's wanting your cake and eat it, too. But what's true salvation is understanding that not only is God the author of life, but God is writing a story where God is the center of the story. That one we struggle with. It feels good to say God's the author of life. Does it feel good to say God is a God-centered God and God is writing a story about himself? No. C.S. Lewis called God an old narcissistic lady that he didn't want anything to do with. He said, God to me sounds like an old woman who wants attention, so I don't want anything to do with him. Well, we all know C.S. Lewis came around to believing and putting his faith in God and wrote some incredible stories about it. This is what uh, author and uh, and speaker and and pastor John Piper says about a God-centered God. John Piper says this, Until you feel and think that God is the supreme value in the universe, that God is the supreme beauty in the universe, that God is the ground and support of everything in the universe, that God is the goal of everything in the universe, that God is the central reality in the universe, until you feel that, you will turn, distort, all reality. You will in turn distort all reality. Even the gospel, Christians, even the gospel into a you-centered falsehood. Boy, we do this and we feel okay about it. That salvation is for me. Church is for me. The Bible is for me. God is for me. In your relationship with God, you do not want the relationship to be for you any more than you would want a marriage relationship to be for you. How's that work? How's it work in a marriage when one of the individuals of the marriage comes to the marriage and says, this marriage is for me? How long does that go? Not very long, right? Or maybe it's still going and someone's like, I'm out. We can't relate that to God because God is perfect. The Bible says that God is like a marriage relationship, but it has limitations because we're human. God has to be God-centered. God has to be perfect, holy, just, righteous. The story has to be about God or it would be over, folks. And that is true faith. Psalms 19 verse 1 says this. Look out there. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Who made the heavens? God. And what did God make the heavens to do? Say how awesome he is. I can see it now, commercial. God saved so much money switching to Geico that he got a hype man, the heavens. And they declare his glory day and night. Right? If you really are honest, God seems narcissistic, selfish. 
I mean, what would you say to an artist that made a painting that literally says, I am awesome on the painting? I would be like, oh, that's kind of weird. Boy, I'm sorry that you didn't make the team when you were in high school and now you're making all of us say you're awesome. Right? You can't put that on God because God is perfect. And we're learning this through social media and think about social media, but God is the center of the story. And faith and salvation means declaring that he's the center of the story and asking for forgiveness for trying to bump him out and make me the center of the story. I'm sorry, God, for trying to bump you out. And then continual forgiveness, continual becoming like Christ, is to say, I'm not part of the story. It's not a one and done deal. Now, the Bible's clear that when you become a child of God, there's nothing you can do to separate yourself. But boy, there's some things that you can do to uh, fight for that center, fight for that middle. So I don't know. Are you someone here today that has never actually realized that and declared that? It's time for you to step out of the center of your story, give the pen to God, but also say, God, you write the God-centered story in my life. Or you're someone that has made that decision back in the day, but over time you have justified coming into the center, taking the pen or taking the, taking the, you know, the accolades, taking the show. God is to be God-centered. And I'll end with this. Matthew 23, 37 through 4. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't respond with scripture memory. He didn't respond with voting for the right politician. He didn't respond, thank the Lord, with you have to listen to Christian music. He didn't respond with you must always be in church every time the doors are open. Good thing we don't have doors here. He responded with this. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the other commands, all the other laws, all the other prophets fall under these. God is to be the center. And we can quickly get off that with what we consider good things. Our children, our job our ministry. Any of those are not to be the center. You are not to be the center. And if you're honest, you and me have been working to be in the center. So this morning, I would, I would, I would with myself, join me in confessing, Lord, I'm sorry. I easily slip into wanting to be in the center. Subconsciously. Sometimes consciously. Or, you might be here this morning and you need to confess, Lord, I've never thought about this before. I've never trusted you as the author of life and I've never trusted you to be the center of the story. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.